Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Beyond 50 radio program. I'm Daniel Davis. On the program today, we're going to be having a fascinating conversation on a book called Enough As You Are. Our guest joining us on the program is Scott Stabile, and he's joining us, and he is a passionate love advocate when he believes that there is no force more powerful than love to create real connection and healing in our world. And I'd like to explore that a lot further, especially when you consider today's sort of conditions in the world. Scott, thank you for joining us here on the program today. Scott, are you there? Oh, I'm here. I think I was muted. I just heard unmuted, yeah, I though. Think so, so, too. My apologies. <laughs> I just noticed that. So, we're not going to let love ever be muted. It knows how to even heal those things. <laughs> Tell us how you got started on this journey. On this journey of love? I yeah, think, uh, yeah, I Yeah. You know, in, in my 20s, I really started to um, to understand that whenever I was aligning with the energy of love and acting from that place i felt better in my being and i came to it was actually through being involved with a cult in the bay area um and that experience didn't end particularly well but within it there was uh, a lot of learning and a lot of growth and foundationally some of the teachings were around unconditional love and compassion and forgiveness And I started to see that um, there are different priorities we can have in our lives beyond just the career path and, and what it is we think we need to be doing. And I started to shift my priorities to being, you know, as loving a person as I can be, as compassionate a person as I can be. And what I found through the years is that when I'm able to stay in alignment with those energies and and think and act and speak from those places um everything seems to be better in my life uh and and by the way just to be clear to everyone listening i'm not always the most loving and compassionate person right like i definitely fall off the love train like we all do um i'm just very committed to getting myself back on it as quickly as possible and to um, staying connected to that energy in my life. Now, many people might feel, okay, so what is that? You know, what does that look like? Something that's tangible because a lot of times, you know, I, I, it's really enjoyable uh, sometimes when you meet up with someone, you know, who may be going through a really tough time and they don't seem at least when they're in the middle of it, like a lot of us do, in fact, that this is going to go on forever. There's no way out. How do I have hope in a situation like this, and especially this day and age, uh, what's going on in the world? Uh, what is that tangible thing that you might be able to suggest to people that they see so they can be in that love space as you're talking about? 
Well, I mean, tangibly, if we if we look at our world and we look at all the warring factions everywhere in this country and beyond and the way that many of us are showing up on social media, how combative we can be, how shaming we can be, how dehumanizing we could be. So tangibly, what does love look like in in that context? For me, that would look like when I read something that someone shares or a video someone's sharing and I find their opinions or their actions um, somewhat abhorrent or offensive or in, in direct contrast to my own convictions and, and what I believe is important or moving us forward. Um, it means not respond, not, not going into an immediate response that is then shaming or dehumanizing them. It means holding space for their humanity within the context of whatever it is I'm experiencing around them. It means calling on empathy, right? Like empathy is actually something we can choose to do. It's just the choice to imagine what it's like to be in another person's shoes, to have lived their experience. And I find that when I'm doing that, I am much more naturally connecting to the humanity and another human being. And when I'm doing that, I'm much less inclined to show up in a shaming and dehumanizing way. And and that doesn't in any way mean I have to compromise my own convictions within it. It just means that I see what all of this warring we're doing with each other is creating, and it is not in any way creating anything I believe any of us are feeling good about. So if I want to, if I want to live in a world that feels more connected, more empathetic, more compassionate, that it's incumbent upon me to look at how I personally am been showing up. Like what example am I setting to create that? Um, the example you gave someone who's going through a really hard time, um, you know, I, I want to say sometimes I've got a lot of tools in my tool belt uh, for working with my life and sometimes none of those tools seem to be working no meditation or breath work or walks or dance or connection with friends is helping me feel better about the place i'm in and in those moments i call on perhaps you know my favorite mantra which is this too shall pass like sometimes i just hold on to the knowledge that nothing lasts forever and I don't know how I'm going to get through this particular phase, but I know that it's not going to last forever. And that's the only thing I can hold on to. And then in other moments, I can look at the practices in my life that tend to bring me a bit more peace, a bit more groundedness. For me, that is a, a practice like breath work. For me, that is taking long walks in nature that is moving my body, that is writing in my journal. These are things that I know are helpful to me. And I think that that is one of the best things that we can do for ourselves, which is to start bringing awareness to whatever practices, whatever tools actually do serve us in a helpful way. And then as much as possible, give your attention to them and your intention to them. And there'll be overlap, but not, you know, meditation is not a great thing for everybody. And walks in nature, that's not what everyone's called to. But what are you called to? And how are you carving out time for those things? And I really believe if if we did 
no other thing but start to pay real attention to the choices we're making and give more energy to the choices that feel fulfilling and meaningful and connected and start to as much as possible eliminate the ones that feel depleting or toxic or whatever else that don't feel good, um, you know, we can create changes in our lives. You know, and for me, that's all tangible. Yeah, very tangible indeed. Now, let's talk about your book, Enough As You Are. I noticed that you don't lay that out as like a straightforward read, but it's like a series of poems, uh, thought meditations, things like that. How did you decide what to put into it? And what sort of a response have you had from people who had the opportunity to have the book? Uh, I've, I've been really excited about the response and a lot of the feedback I get, um, not just about the writing, but about the way people are using the book because of the way it's laid out. It's very much the kind of book, even if you're not a reader, the kind of book you can just open to a page and read what's on that page. And should you choose to like meditate on that thought for the day or meditate on that piece of writing for the day, um, rather than necessarily having to read it beginning to end. And as far as how I put it together, you know, I've been sharing my writings on social media for probably 10 years now. And I wanted to, you know, curate a book of some of my favorite pieces of writing over those years, as well as some new pieces, you know, in the last year. And um, when I when I started putting the, the collection of writings together, you know, what I find is that, and it wasn't surprising, I, I write a lot about love, and I write a lot about the power of self-love. And that's why it's called Enough As You Are. It's just a lot of the, the writings in this are reminders to readers, to all of us, that, you know, our worth is inherent. It is not predicated on accomplishment or your looks or your marital status or how cool your kids are. All of those things are beautiful if they add meaning to your life and they have absolutely nothing to do with your inherent worth. And, you know, if we can remember that, if we can remember that we truly are enough as we are, if you make no change to your life, it makes you no less worthy than if you make profound changes in your life. And when you start to internalize that knowing, it shifts how we show up in the world. You know, when you, when you move through the world as a person who is connected to self-worth and self-love, you move through the world with much more openness in general, I find. And the connections and the circumstances and invitations that you create in your life change. And what I've you know, been playing with in my life for many years now is just really, really showing up for myself with a lot of compassion and a lot of grace and understanding that the relationship I have with myself more than anything else will inform how I show up for others in the world and how I show up for our planet in general. And it is always worth strengthening that relationship you know, we are with ourselves 24-7 every day of the year. And I, I see no relationship that will ever be more important than the one you develop with yourself. So, you know, a lot of my work these days is really about, one, reminding people that they are lovable, they are worthy, they are beautiful as they are. And then also reminding people that it's never too late to 
to learn to believe that about yourself. It's never too late to, if, if the relationship you have, have with yourself up until now has been fueled by self-abuse and self-loathing and all of these things that all of our minds do, it's never too late to create transformation around that with willingness and with commitment and with a, a willingness to, to take responsibility for your relationship with yourself and, and make a, a decision. Uh, I don't want to be ruled by the thoughts of my mind that tell me I'm less than. And by the way, my mind is telling me that all the time as well. I just think that I've given so much energy and practice to um, being in relationship with myself in a more compassionate way that when my mind is cycling through its self-abuse, I I bring awareness to that moment as quickly as possible and offer myself loving thoughts and remind myself that I am not my mind. I am not the thoughts of my mind. I never have been. And where what I feel is most true to me is the communication that comes from my heart or from the energy of love, which is always a reminder to all of us um, of our value and our inherent value. So that makes sense. It does. In fact, I was going to point out something. It seems that uh, you really begin to question your own thinking and circumstances that you might even feel triggered. Perhaps uh, as an example at work, you might, uh, have that one person, as we all seem to, that seems a little intolerable when they're there. Uh, and so, therefore, we kind of put ourselves in the mindset that this is not only uncomfortable, but I don't like it very much. And so you don't tend to send out that kind of energy that makes a person feel welcome. So that gives them all the more reason to be the kind of person that's kind of intolerable, if you will. And I remember uh, such people like that over the years, and I began changing how I thought and felt about them, trying to see, you know, the real value or the good in them so I could see that and get it to a point that it would scream out at me, and then I would point that out more often. And what I noticed, just as you mentioned earlier, is this, is then you begin to feel the energy change and the way they change when you're around. And it's a pretty fascinating trade-off. That's kind of what you're talking about, right? Well, I mean, I love what you're saying. I don't, I don't know that that was exactly what I was referring to, but I, I'm totally in alignment with what you're saying. For, for me, it's just about understanding that all we have control over ultimately is how we are choosing to show up in the world. And when we bring right. awareness to how we're showing up and how it affects other people, which is what you're speaking to, we see that there's so much power in the choices we're making without taking responsibility for how people respond to us it's entirely possible you could do what you were describing and a person might still be a jerk all the time like maybe your 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 willingness to rest in love and compassion and show up differently isn't going to be the thing that helps someone shift their way of being but that's not your responsibility Right. All right. all that you can do is do what you're doing. And I find that that perhaps more often than not, it does actually affect people. And and part of loving ourselves is also, I believe, if we're in relationship with people and we feel disrespected or it feels toxic, like really, really asking ourselves, why are we choosing to remain in a relationship that feels this way? And, and I believe that the more 
we play with self-love, the more we play with self-worth, the more we look at what it is we really need in our lives to create more meaning and more wholeness, the less inclined we are to give our energy to people and circumstances that don't provide that. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Like not, we can still love people from a distance. Not everyone is meant to be a part of our lives, you know, and, and I think that's really okay. And I think that part of self-love is establishing boundaries. Part of loving others is responding to their boundaries. Um, so yes, I agree with what you're saying. I just, I think that all of these things in my experience, I only speak from my lived experience, you know, and, and what I observe in the world. And I just notice that it, it all, it all stems from how I am feeling about myself, how I am relating to myself. When I'm relating to myself through a lens of compassion and love, I naturally automatically have more compassion and love to give to others. And I suspect you'd agree with me, we need more compassion and love and empathy in our world. But we have to we have to bring it. That's all we can control is what we're bringing. You know, I completely agree with that. It's really being in the moment instead of the thought of what the moment actually is. And uh, so, you know, I wanted to get to a moment, too, where you talk about living in your truth. Is that the truth or is the truth that, as you know, through your experience exists? Which of those things, if not both, are the reality of what living in your truth means? I think for me, it can only mean living in what I experience to be most true for me. And, and, you know, for me, when I, when I think about living in my truth or living in my authenticity, the, a word that automatically comes up for me is conditioning. So part of the process of getting more aligned with what feels true for me is bringing more awareness to the ways in which I'm showing up in alignment with how I've been conditioned to be. And we are conditioned by so many forces from the time we're little children all through our lives. We have communications coming at us, telling us what we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to act, who we're supposed to love, all of these different things. And it's impossible to align with all of those directives. So for me, part of this process is looking at how I'm showing up, looking at the things that I'm saying and asking myself, is this an authentic response? Does this feel real in my bones or is this a conditioned response? Is this just something I've been saying for decades that maybe was never true, but certainly doesn't feel true now? And if that's the case, that's important information. And if that is the case, if this is a conditioned response, how can I nudge myself into a way of being that feels more true to me? And so this is something we can all be doing. But, but if, we, if we do this practice, it takes not only awareness, but to act in alignment with our truth takes courage because the world around us so often will be pressuring us in unspoken and spoken ways to stay in your conditioning, to meet the expectations that the society has placed on you. And my experience of doing that is that I suffer more. <laughs> you know, like there, there are benefits that come, come from 
living in alignment with what feels most true and authentic to me. And those, those benefits are numerous and brilliant. And the benefit for me that comes from living in my conditioning is perhaps, well, you don't create as many waves in the world. So not as many people have things to say about how you're choosing to be. But what I came to learn, Daniel, and it was a really liberating awareness was no matter how we choose to show up, we are going to be judged by others, which is to say, whether I'm living in this box of conditioning placed upon me by the world around me, or whether I'm living in the full expansiveness of my authenticity and freedom, I'm going to be judged by others in the world because we humans are wildly judgmental people. But knowing that, knowing that I'll be judged no matter what I do, for me became an invitation to get out of the box of conditioning because I'm going to be judged anyway, so why not, why not gain the benefits that come with living in your freedom? And those for me are beautiful and innumerable. So that's what I'm playing with more in my life is just honoring and again, to, to answer your the part of your question, like it is, I don't know what truth is. Like, I know what my truth feels like in any given moment. And I know I believe in my heart that love is the most true, true thing that we have to be with. So when I'm aligned with loving action, loving words, and when I speak about love, I'm speaking about compassion, forgiveness, empathy, kindness. All of these things are under the umbrella of love. When I am acting in alignment with those things, I feel most at home in my body, which is to say I feel most connected to what feels most true to me. That's really a fascinating way to also look at it because you brought up a keyword that I bring up quite often here on the program, and that's the idea of social conditioning, uh, which stems through us growing up, our parents raising us, setting up the imprint to a degree of how they uh, experience the world. So we adopt that as the truth. Then we go through school looking for punishment reward, not necessarily for the punishment part, but certainly the reward. So that conditions us on how we're supposed to behave, let's say, in the village. And then you get out into the world of work, and there are conditions that are met for you to be able to advance. You know, you're doing a good job, but is that truly because it's the work you're doing, or have you learned to play the condition politics that make you likable enough for that raise or promotion? And I know that it gets to a point, we've certainly talked about this many times as you approach midlife, all of a sudden it's sort of like something shatters in your life and you realize, here I've been doing all these things, almost been in complete abeyance or obeying this mm -hmm. social conditioning, these right things I'm supposed to do, and I'm not any happier than I've ever been, you know, just it's really upsetting. And what do I do next? And they feel lost. And proof of that is when you see, for instance, these spiritual workshops and personal development retreats. Uh, and what I noticed too, here was the most fascinating part, uh, not all the cases, but in a fair amount of cases when I've experienced not personally these retreats, but seen them, you know, being put on as it's mostly women in midlife that mm -hmm. feel lost trying to find themselves. And it seems that once that begins to happen, not only are they excited, 
but then there's also a tremendous amount of uh, regret for the time they feel they've lost with that sort of phrase we, we sometimes throw around as we get older is, I wished I knew then what I know now. <laughs> How do you uh, like to address that as people kind of come up with that experience to you? Well, I don't, I don't believe that it's mostly women who feel lost. I believe it's mostly women who are willing to do something about it in those moments. And I lead a lot of workshops, and it's almost always mostly middle-aged women. It's exactly what you're speaking to. And I think that is in part because of the conditioning that we're talking about. And men are conditioned still to be more stoic and to not look at their right. feelings and to be strong. And so it is still a lot to get men to not only just to look honestly at the fact that they're, they're not feeling fulfilled in their lives, if that's the case, but then to consider actually doing something about it. And it's much more okay, societally okay for women, you know, to participate in these spirituality workshops and personal growth things. Um, and I, I do believe that in general, we are evolving. I do believe that, that more men are waking up to the possibility of creating for themselves a, a, a more aligned way of living to honor what feels most true for them to step outside their conditioning. But it's, it also at the same time feels very slow going with men. And I, that, that statement I would make about our world in general, like uh, on the one hand, I feel like we're evolving. I feel like more of these types of conversations are being had. I feel like people are taking responsibility for their lives in a different way and considering what feels most authentic to them. And on the other hand, look at the insanity and violence in this world. You know, it's, it's hard sometimes to hold on to the notion that, that we are evolving in a positive way when you see so many horrors, um, you know, and, and I just ultimately what I've come to believe for myself is that no matter how I'm looking at the world, no matter whether I'm seeing our world as imploding or flourishing, I still feel the same call to show up as much as possible in my heart aligned with love to make noise for love, to be a messenger and of love. And, and no matter how I see the world around me, the call within is the same. And so that's what I'm going to do. So in essence, you would be considered a love activist. Would that be a, way, a good way to say that? Yeah, that's actually what um, a friend called me years ago, uh, and uh, I, I believe I, I've taken. I never was able to really. I always stuttered through when people would say, "What do you do?" I'd be like, "Oh, well, I write some." I love, it was never a coherent answer. And then uh, a friend who she's like, "You're a love activist." I'm like, "Hey, that's actually that's actually a title I can own." That I like. Right. That makes sense to me. Good kind of activism because everybody out there isn't the bad guy because they're not doing what you desire, such as like, you know, all this uh, big environment and Green New Deal change going on. It's like, yeah, there's a funny one right there. I brought this up. Um, 
you know, because you have these globalists and the idea of they're calling it climate change. Now, I remember growing up as a kid, we were worried the world was going to freeze to death. And then the next thing you know, it's going to burn to death. And well, none of that stuff happened. Then all of a sudden, well, it's just climate change. That's what's causing the problem. And what's really funny about it is how they've managed to take that and blame us. And why I find that not only funny, but stupid at the same time is these were the same people to a degree that basically conditioned us to use their products and to live the lifestyles that they felt that we needed to live in order to be enough when you think about it. And now you're going to turn around because we did all this and you made all your money and now you're going to try a brand new grift and tell us, well, we're the bad guys. And the fact of the matter is when you take a look at really true uh, let's say capitalists, you know, people who actually see that perhaps they are causing damage to the environment. A great story on that was someone who was a rug and carpet manufacturer, and he was just doing some serious damage uh, as far as the environment was concerned by his practices of, uh, of, of making rugs and carpets. And so he really took a hard look at this, and it was really cool because he, he, he's been a great, and I can't remember the name right now, but he not only changed everything to where he was using recycled materials, things like that, learning how not to be nasty and dumping whatever, you know, the things were that were causing the environmental damage, but it turned out because of these changes that now people could purchase his rugs and his carpets for less than anyone else that was out there selling. <laughs> so he ended up being the only guy to go to just because it was cheap and it was all environmentally friendly just by making that simple change. And here you've got this group of people that are trying to force change. And I know that people would do something like that naturally. We don't need somebody dictating how that's supposed to look. What are your thoughts on that, especially when it comes to change and you got that kind of group thing? kind of bearing down on us what we should do next. Well, I think that that's, that's happening everywhere from every different direction, right? I think uh, I, lo I love the story you just shared. I, I would love to, I'd love to know what happened for that man to wake him up to engaging with his business in a new way, right? Like, like he had to have known that what he was doing on some level was not serving the planet in a positive way or was polluting it. And so, you know, what wakes people up to decide, you know what, right. I am going to approach this differently. And I, and, and again, I can, I can bring, so I am not, I, I'm not a person personally who responds very positively to people trying to tell me how I have to be and what I have to do. And at the same time, you know, I, and I think that's the case for, for most of us at the same time, I, I I'm going to bring it back to love again, because I really do believe that when you're, when you're in your heart more, you know, your heart center that when you're, when you're in love more, um, the, the choices you make start to naturally shift. It's like, I just don't think the world looks the same when you're looking at it through the lens of compassion and love, as it looks like when you're looking at it through the lens of, you know, fear that comes through our minds and separation and dehumanization that our minds want to get us all spun up in. And so, so for me, I feel like I'm always being invited to look at, well, is my mind 
trying to steer me in the direction of separation with my fellow human beings? And if so, how can I steer myself back to a place of understanding our inherent connection as fellow human beings? Because I don't believe the way forward ultimately. I don't believe if you look at our, our country and, and many areas around the world that we are we are connecting and engaging and dialoguing with each other in a way that is going to create a more healed reality. I, I believe that that in order to create healing, there has got to be love involved. Like there are a lot of uh, a lot of change agents out there. Anger is an extraordinarily powerful change agent, and I think anger is very valuable. Anger can get us off our butts when we feel like there's an injustice and it can get us to, to make noise and be an activist. And if that's what anger's doing, great. And at the same time, if it's just anger that we're throwing back and forth at one another, we're definitely going to create change, but we're not going to create healing. We're going to create change that ultimately is going to look at uh, as ugly as what we're trying to change away from. So unless you're willing to really add compassion and love to your anger, unless that is foundational in my belief and in, in, in how I see things and understand things, unless mm-hmm. love is foundational in what you're doing, only change will get created, but no healing will. And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's like everyone on this planet wants to give and receive love. I think that most mm-hmm. of us experience the energy of love as the most beautiful thing we have going here. We are all hungry for it. We're all desperate for it. And yet, we are also all, to some degree, making justifications to live out of, out of alignment with it. And it makes no rational sense. It makes no intuitive sense. And um, I just don't. I, I just don't see how we heal anything without it, honestly. And not from. You know, I talk a lot about love, but I, I'm not naive. I'm not like, my head is not in the clouds when I'm speaking about love. It's right. looking at the changes we're, that are getting created and we're just, we're just falling through the same patterns. And we, we all end up hating and screaming at each other over different things in, in the same ways. But it's just a different subject that's bringing it all out again. And, and it's, it is the definition of insanity, it feels like, right? We expect, how do we expect different results when we continue to show up in exactly the same way? You know, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, uh, I, I think that's really a fascinating point to really hit on right there because we seem to be living in a world where people want to be the victim. They believe there should be retribution you know, as far as why they are, where they are, and and somebody should come along and save them. We seem to have gotten to that place. But I think at the same time, as you stated earlier, I feel very optimistic about change that I believe what's beginning to happen in this planetary shift is that we're seeing more of a purge. And this is the last remnants of whatever that is that's kicking, screaming, clawing, and scratching to hold on to its reality when it already knows it's losing the battle to what's coming now. You know, a new way of seeing thing that people are becoming 
more intelligent, more compassionate, more open-hearted. I, I, I can feel, and, and it isn't going to be in an immediate future, but I think relatively quick, you know, all these wars we fight all over the planet that were people are coming into the know what all that nonsense was to begin with. And it wasn't because we were afraid of some boogeyman coming to invade our area and we were protecting ourselves. People now know and are armed with the resources to know what the reality of what's going on out there is. And you see in these wars that are trying to get something big started that just kind of like a small firecracker, they just fizzle and go out. And it's because people just aren't buying it anymore. Is that kind of how you see the world, uh, like, from that point of view? I mean, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, I do think that people are waking up to just the BS and the nonsense, yeah. you know. And I also think that the the powers that be are fighting harder than ever to hold on to their control and their domination. And it's uh, right. and and we're we're feeling it and seeing how how dark and ugly that is. And I think that that isn't that that has to be a natural process of change because it it has been so dark and ugly forever. And now we're just waking up to it. So of course, it's going to be shocking and alarming and heartbreaking and enraging. And yet, uh, I mean, when you start waking up, you start waking up, it's really hard to reflect on life through the same lens you've always reflected on it through when you begin to wake up to to what is actually going on and i also say that as someone i can't pretend to know what is actually going on in all the dark recesses of our governments and governments around the world but i do believe even if we don't feel like we have clear answers it is if you just start to tune in you can see clearly like not this like not this this is not right this is not okay i may not have clarity about the path forward but i have clarity enough now to say this is no longer okay and even that alone if when millions and millions and millions of people start to wake up and say no more of this um change right. is going to get created you know the 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 sad thing daniel the the frustrating thing is that what i'm what i'm observing in this awakening is that even all the people waking up are then just going to war with each other because they're not seeing it exactly the same way or because they don't have the same answers about how to move forward it's like like let's say a million people can all agree with not this but then everyone's bringing to the not this what they believe is the way forward instead of holding space and listening to one another and actually trying to dialogue with one another in an open-hearted, compassionate way. What, what, what's happening out there is just we're all shutting down each other and we're shaming each other and then we're dehumanizing each other. And, and I just don't see how we move forward that way. It's like if step one is the not this, great, I'm excited about that. But then we're in just this constant conflict and war, and all that ultimately does is continue to prop up the powers that be because we're all just battling mm -hmm. each other and allowing these, these systems and these mechanisms to keep playing out as they've always played out. I mean, how do you see it? Right.
I think I find there's a lot of truth in that mainly because let's say as a person becomes awakened to a reality that they bought into for a long time, and that's where we're all colluded in this is that as you awaken, you do by the same degrees that you were put to sleep. And Mm -hmm. like anything, like if you go to the gym, you don't expect to build your muscles into a Schwarzenegger sized physique within a week. It just doesn't happen that way. It happens in degrees. It takes determination and it takes time. The biggest thing is to me, because that was a process that had been happening with me for many, many years that I almost began to feel that I was isolated due to the fact that it seemed people around me either a weren't awakening or they just weren't interested in catching up. So you kind of feel like you're out there on your own, but you're okay with that. But I guess the big lesson for that was that I learned to realize, why don't you approach people as they approach you and only answer the questions and have the conversation related to what they feel interested in? You don't have to pour the bucket of water all over them, you know, and really, you know, bring them out of the slumber, but it's done by degrees, create curiosity more than anything. And I think uh, it's kind of like experts. I've got a real problem with, you know, sometimes people that claim to be experts saying this is the way to go. And it's like, well, what makes you any smarter than I am? Why don't I take the time to figure this out on my own? But thank you for opening the door. And I think too many of us, like experts, want to be right about what it is we know and where we're at at the time. And I think the ego kind of jumps in there and says, see, you are, you're better than that because you know this. And it's not like that. It's us for compassion and the ego should fall away, come into a state of love to say, you've come to me at this moment and this is what you have a curiosity with. I'll share this direction and kind of tell me how it leads and just kind of let them go on their way and let that process just happen naturally, which is what it is, Right. Yeah, I mean, yes, I I think that and 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 for me as you're you're talking about this and what I'm feeling is it and and part of the reason why I I wrote enough as you are is because I really do believe that ultimately no matter what we are left with ourselves. And so Right. <laughs> what like why would we not do everything we can possibly do to get in good relationship with ourselves so that no matter what is happening out there, no matter what's happening in the, the, our insane minds, and we all have insane minds to varying degrees, um, we, we can know that, you know what, we've got our own backs. Like I know that no matter if I quote unquote fail at something or if I'm judged by other people or whatever it is, that on the other side of that, rather than abusing myself the way I used to and shaming myself and and adding on to the fire of others. I mean, I sometimes do that and my mind certainly wants to do that. But, but more often what happens for me is I've got my own back. I have become my own best friend and it changes your response to life. It changes your entire, your entire way of being. Um, and, and it makes you that much more empathetic with others, that much more compassionate with others. That is the, for me, the only natural outcome to enhancing your own self-love is that there's more love for others. Because for me, love is that, that is the energy of love. It is abundant. 
It is everywhere, and it is a pure positive energy that is always in service to everyone involved and um, and to our planet, right? Like you, met, you brought up the climate earlier. Um, no matter what anyone thinks about climate change and what causes it, I think that if we're bringing honest awareness to ourselves and our actions, we could probably delineate between things we're doing to the earth that are not good for the planet versus choices we're making that probably are better for the planet, right? If I'm dumping tar onto the the sidewalk and grasses in front of my house, it's pretty easy for me to acknowledge this is not helping planet earth. This is actually tangibly hurting planet earth. And I think that when we start to align more with our hearts and love and get in better relationship with ourselves, we not only make choices that feel better for ourselves, we start to naturally make choices that also feel better for our planet. It's like this, this is our, our home planet. It's like, I don't want to throw trash into the ocean. Even if I don't, maybe I don't believe that that's going to, destroy the ocean but i i know it's not good for it and it's also it's not respecting it's not something that someone who is connected to love of self is going to do to the planet because i really do believe we are all connected we are all affecting one another by the choices we're making so the more of those choices that can come from a place of love and compassion the more we're naturally benefiting all beings Agreed, definitely. And I think the most important element as we get to the last 10 minutes of the show here uh, would be to talk about forgiveness and its power. Uh, in your experience, what is forgiveness and what does forgiveness as a power actually have, especially when it comes to this personal change and creating this loving, I'm more than enough relationship with yourself? Well, I'll tell you a story from my life that um, involves forgiveness. Uh, My parents were shot to death when I was 14 years old. And at the time, I know it's heavy. It was obviously an extraordinarily traumatic uh, experience. And as a 14-year-old at the time, and for many years after, I was not thinking about forgiveness of the man who killed my parents. I was... It lost in hatred of him, in violent thoughts, wanting him dead, imagining him dying in gruesome ways. That was when he came to mind what was coming up for me. And in my 20s, as I was starting to align with love and compassion and seeing how beautiful that was and how powerful that felt, I would still think of this man who killed my parents and feel the, the hatred. I'd feel the tightness in my chest. and. I I remember saying to myself, like, you have to shift this. Uh, You have to figure out a way to forgive this man. And I didn't know how I was going to forgive him. But what I started to do is I did my best to empathize with him. And without knowing all the dynamics of his life, what I felt like I could do was imagine that this was a human being who felt really lost, and really confused and really angry and really hopeless and really unloved and really unseen because to me, I felt like anyone who could take the lives of three people because he killed my parents and one other person um, must feel some version of all these things to, to perpetrate that act. And I thought, well, wait a minute. 
I feel really lost and really angry and really unloved and confused, and I can relate to all of these things. And even the violence, which was the one thing I'm like, well, I could never relate to perpetrating that kind of violence. But then I had been imagining in my head him dying in horribly gruesome, violent ways. So even the thing that I thought, well, yeah, like even that, which I don't think I ever, I, I mean, I can't imagine I would ever follow through with any of them, of course, but I could imagine them, which means that that sure. violence is alive within me as well. And so suddenly this man was not just a killer. He was someone that I was relating to as another human being with all of these struggles that I felt so deeply inside of myself. And I kept, I kept working at empathy. I kept imagining that I kept connecting to him through this empathetic, compassionate heart. And, and what I noticed is that I started to feel love for him. I started to see him as just another human being who, who has struggled in ways I probably couldn't even fully comprehend, who did a horrible thing, but he's more than that horrible thing. And then I realized when I thought about him that I had forgiven him. And what that meant for me was that, and, and the gift of forgiveness was that I was no longer tethered to him through this toxic, horrible, hateful chain. It had just been broken and eliminated. And it doesn't mean that his actions still didn't take a toll on my life. It doesn't mean I wasn't still processing losing my parents in that way. But what it meant was, that I'd said goodbye to the hatred. I'd said goodbye to the violent thoughts. I'd said goodbye to the rage. And that for me, truly, Daniel, that was one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given in my life was to be shown that in a situation that most people in my life and around me saw as unforgivable, I was able to find forgiveness and free myself from the tether of hatred. And and that is why, for me, I, I'm a believer in forgiveness. I'll never, it's, it's, in my workshops, if I ever bring up forgiveness, it's one of the most triggering things for people. People do not want to be told to forgive people that they don't want to forgive. And I'm not here to tell you to forgive anyone you don't want to forgive. I personally have seen the power of forgiveness in my life in more scenarios than just that. And I, I am a believer in it. And I also believe that forgiveness is an act of love. And I'm about love. So for me to not, for me to see something as unforgivable is the same thing as saying, as I see it, that the action of another person, the darkness that lives in that action is greater than the love and light that lives in my heart. And I just don't believe that to be true. So I, I believe in forgiveness. I, I love it because your eloquence of how you describe your journey in forgiveness is exactly what people truly need to understand about what forgiveness actually is. So just to put it into a, a finite point, forgiveness, especially as you described it, is exactly what I believe, but it took me a long time to understand that. You know, it's hard to forgive somebody who's wronged you or who has caused a loss such as the one you suffered. And I've known friends who have had losses and I say, well, just forgive, but they're not in that place to understand why you do that. Scott, for you listeners out there, just laid out why it's important. 
forgiveness isn't so much that you're forgiving the person, like you're giving them a free pass from what they have committed, but forgiveness gives you those scissors you need that cuts the tie that binds you to the kind of person you have become as a result of someone else's actions. And that Beautiful gives you stated. free. <laughs> Sorry, that, I didn't mean I'm to saying, cut you off. <laughs> yeah. and, and to me, nope. and it's so neat, you eloquently put that where I'm sure the listeners would go, God, I never thought of forgiveness that way before. Like, it's truly you're forgiving because you're forgiving yourself for being tied to and accepting the energies and holding on to them and owning them as though they're yours. And it gives you permission for yourself to release and let it go because it wasn't there before that happened. And now you were truly yeah. liberated. And that's truly it's what forgiveness freedom. is. Yeah, forgiveness it. is freedom. That's really what I yeah. what I see it as. And I have never regretted forgiving. That's the thing. Like fe- people will fight tooth and nail. I will never forgive this thing. And you feel sometimes their energy is, is holding onto it in such an unhealthy, destructive way. And I'm like, okay. And there is a path that might allow you to release some of that unhealthy, destructive energy in your body. Um, so I see it as freedom and I've, in every time I have found that empathy is a, a, is one of the most important paths to get me there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and again, I want to thank you for sharing that story, uh, because you put right on the money because we talk about forgiveness, uh, several times over the years about this. And it was fascinating when I learned, oh, so that's what forgiveness really is. It isn't about again, giving the get out of jail free card to the one you feel who wronged you, but it's about giving you those scissors that cut the ties that bind you together in the first place and going about your business. Think about it, folks. That's where you were before this happened to you. Would you like to be back there again? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Well, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the program and you've spoken so well about, you know, what we're talking about being enough as you are. And the, and the thing is, is I also like to bring up about selfishness and I tell people the first years of your life, when you get to that point that you're ready to be awake and become selfish, become selfish like the devil, because you want to fill your cup to a point that it overflows. So you have that to share with others. And that's a better place than trying to go out thinking that you're, a, fixing yourself, and now it's your job to go out and fix everybody else. And we're not talking about that at all. Absolutely. I, I, I describe self-love sometimes as the most beautiful selfishness that exists because the energy of love is always, it's always transcending self. Any love mm-hmm. you're giving to yourself is, is going to be, you're going to show up for others in your life in a more loving way. Like love is a big energy in that way. So it really is a wholehearted, beautiful kind of selfishness that serves all, I believe. And one thing for sure, too, is this journey won't be easy. However, it's more than worth taking because the end result is that now you transcend your experiences. And as a result, you become that light that becomes the light for other people and allows them the permission to be the light as well. And it's a great place when you think of a world like that. Scott, how Hallelujah. can people find you be found? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can find me on, on Instagram and Facebook and scottstabile.com. And then I have a Substack newsletter 
scottsdeville.substack.com. And you can get Enough As You Are and also my book, Big Love, um, you know, in bookstores or on Amazon or wherever you get books. But I'm easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> Love and light usually are, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good yeah point. Thank you again for being on the program with us today. It's been a pleasure. Oh, for me too. Thank you so much, Daniel. Be well. Be back. I want to thank you, the listeners out there, for tuning in. If you want to find a really nice, bright light, join us at beyond50radio.com. That is the number 50. We encourage you to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter and stay up to date with what's going on in the world of Beyond 50 as well as our upcoming shows. I'm Daniel Davis. Thank you for joining us. This is the Beyond 50 radio program. And remember, wherever you are is where you should be. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.